Well, hey, we are continuing our series called The Good Shepherd. We're in week four, and this whole series has been about making sure that we are trusting in and following Jesus. Perhaps the most important thing you need to get right in your life is who you trust. And so let's trust and follow Jesus, not Christian culture, not celebrity pastors, not certain churches, not certainly not politics and internet misinformation and all that sort of mess. We want to make sure that we are following the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. So during Jesus' earthly ministry, his followers could quite literally follow Jesus. I mean, he could walk down the road and they could walk down the road after him. And then, of course, we celebrated Resurrection Sunday and that changed everything. All of a sudden, Jesus wasn't there to follow in the same way. And so the first three weeks of this series, we're talking about, you know, following Jesus. And now the question is, what did the New Testament believers do after Jesus left? You know, like now what? Jesus rises from the dead and then he floats off into the sky. (laughs) How do you follow Jesus now? It's starting to be more like how we follow Jesus today. Jesus was no longer there, but they're still trying to follow the good shepherd. So that's where we pick it up. So after Jesus is raised from the dead, but before he ascends to the father, he appears to people several times, like a couple famous ones would be the doubting Thomas scenario where Thomas is not there on that first day of the week when Jesus appears to the apostles. But then the next week, Thomas is there and Jesus is like, hey, you know, look at my hands, look at my side. And Thomas is, you know, he sees and he believes. So this is in that window between the empty tomb and the ascension of Jesus to the Father. And then another famous example would be the reinstatement of Peter. You know, Peter, one of the three closest ones to Jesus, denies Jesus three times, even though he said, I'll die with you. He denies Jesus three times, and then Jesus is reinstated. I'm sorry, Peter is reinstated by Jesus after a miraculous catch of fish And that is, you know, in this time between the empty tomb and the ascension of Jesus to the Father. So it's a really interesting time. One of the situations where Jesus speaks to his followers is in, is recorded in Acts chapter one. We're going to read verses four through 12. This is, uh, one of the last things he said, and then we get into the ascension. So here we go. Acts chapter one, starting in verse four. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. So this is after the empty tomb, he's eating with them. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So they're still hoping that Jesus is gonna be this world's king of the Jews, you know, that he's gonna kick out the Romans and it just wasn't part of the plan. So Jesus sort of skirts around that a little bit. He says to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. So Jesus floats up into the sky. Then a couple angels show up and they're like, yep, he floated up into the sky. He's going to come back the same way that he left. And so that is the the uh, prophecy of the second coming of Christ, or at least one uh, indication of that is Jesus is coming back, you know? So Jesus is now gone to be with the Father, but he's gonna come back. We're still waiting for that. We're waiting for the second coming of Christ. And so here we go. I can just picture the apostles looking up into the sky. Then there's these angels standing there like, hey guys, and then the angels leave. And the apostles are looking at each other like, you know, uh, well, I guess we go back, days, Sabbath days, walk to Jerusalem. So they go back. <laughs> so now what? You know, Jesus has floated off into the sky. Now it's the, the apostles are looking at each other like, not really sure what to do. So now what? Well, I'll tell you what. Now the apostles step up empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that's what happens now. Now, instead of the apostles deferring to Jesus because he's there, now Jesus has ascended to the Father and it's time for the apostles to step up and they need to step up empowered by the Holy Spirit. Remember what we saw there in verses four and five, Jesus is eating with them and he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So they are to wait in Jerusalem, but they are supposed to receive the gift the Father promised, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And so they needed that empowerment. It wasn't enough for them to just like, okay, now step up and do the best you can. It was, okay, wait for the Holy Spirit to be poured out for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the immersion in the Holy Spirit. And then after that, you'll have power to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and the ends of the earth. So they have to go back to Jerusalem to wait. And just in case you're wondering if this baptism in the Holy Spirit is just some, some sort of a weird side idea, uh, it's, it's a core concept in the gospel narrative. So we see it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and here in Acts it's an essential piece of the puzzle. So let's take a look here. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. We'll just get a peek of this. This was part of the prophecy of John the Baptist. Matthew 3, 11 and 12, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So 
John baptizes with water. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Then we go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Again, John the Baptist. And this was his message, John's message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So Matthew, Mark, Luke 3.16. So we go to the Gospel of Luke 16 and 17. And it says, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So this is some strong stuff. Then let's go to the Gospel of John. We'll read from chapter 1 and chapter 7. John 32 through 30, John 1, 32 through 34. Then John gave this testimony, that is John the Baptist. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So we see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We have John the Baptist proclaiming that Jesus would come and baptize uh, in the Holy Spirit. And then John 7, 37 through 39, I think is a very important section of scripture. This is Jesus speaking. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So since Jesus had not ascended to the Father, the Holy Spirit had not been poured out. But now we saw in Acts chapter one, Jesus ascends to the Father and he says, okay, now you need to go to Jerusalem and wait for the gift my Father promised, which is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the thing that Jesus is recorded as what he is going to do. He clearly did not do that in his earthly ministry because he had to ascend to the Father first. And so now he's going to pour out the Holy Spirit on the people. So the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not some side idea, but it's a key component to the gospel narrative. First, they needed to go wait in Jerusalem. And so then that's what they did. What did this waiting look like? So they were gonna go, uh, the apostles, they go back to Jerusalem and they're gonna wait. They're gonna tarry, as it said uh, in the King James. They're gonna go wait in Jerusalem. What does it look like when they're waiting? We go to Acts chapter one, verse 14. Acts 1.14 says, They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So, side note, Mary and Jesus' brothers are now on board. <laughs> they realize uh, that this is some real stuff, and so they're, they're on the team, uh, the brothers of Jesus, who kind of made fun of them before. So now they are waiting. They are waiting, and what this waiting looked like was it looked like a whole bunch of prayer meetings in succession. So again, they all joined together constantly in prayer. So this is not passive waiting. This is active waiting. 
And maybe you're waiting on God for something. And maybe the problem is, is that you're doing passive waiting. Passive waiting is usually the same as delaying. We need to do active waiting. Be in prayer. Be seeking the Lord. Be learning things. Be serving the Lord. Be actively waiting, not passively waiting. Again, passively waiting oftentimes just turns into delaying. Instead, active waiting. Pray, study, serve, seek, be going after it. You're actively waiting. You're engaging while you're waiting. So I encourage you, if you are waiting on the Lord for something, be actively waiting. So then they're actively waiting, they're praying, and all of a sudden, something happens. Let's go to Acts chapter two. Let's look at what happened. This is one of the most incredible miracles recorded in the Bible, uh, and it is the birth of the New Testament church. So here we go, Acts chapter two, starting in verse one. We'll, We'll start with one through 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. (laughs) (laughs) which I'm sure was funny in the moment, but uh, not actually the case. It wasn't that they had too much wine. Instead, it was that the incredible empowerment of God through the Holy Spirit had hit these people. They were now baptized in the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So what's the symbolism of Pentecost? So Pentecost, the original uh, Old Testament meaning was the, the first fruits of the wheat harvest. So this is the first gathering in. And then it became a holiday, uh, you know, an old Jewish holiday where they celebrated the receiving of the Mosaic law. And so we've got the first fruits of the wheat harvest. We've got the, the start of the, basically the, the old covenant with Moses. And now we have the birth of the New Testament church, the first fruits of the new covenant harvest. So, you know, like this is just incredible symbolism with Pentecost. So now all these people are hearing the the wonders of God being spoken in their own language. So this miracle, amazing as it is, was not the whole story. I mean, it keeps going. Now, again, what happens when Jesus ascends to the Father? Now what? Well, now the apostles step up empowered by the Holy Spirit. They're not just baptized in the Holy Spirit so that they can, you know, 
feel good about themselves and have a positive spiritual experience that then they can go home and say, wow, that was neat. No, now they're empowered by the Spirit to step up and serve God. They're now being handed the baton by Jesus to go forward and bring the message of the gospel to the world. So you remember Peter, one of the innermost three? So you've got Peter, James, and John. You know, they're there at the transfiguration. They're there when Jesus is is praying and sweating drops of blood. You know, they're, they're there. They're the insiders. Peter, who says to Jesus, hey, I am never going to betray you. Even if I have to die with you, I'll never deny you. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're going to deny me three times before this night is over. And uh, then he denies him three times. I mean, if you remember that, let's make sure that we remember the denials. So let's go to uh, Luke chapter 22. 60 through 62, Luke 22, 60 through 62 tells the story. It's the last part of the denial of Peter. So it was three times. This is the third one. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking. Oh, let's go back to verse 59. It's going to make more sense. Verse 59 of uh, Luke chapter 22 About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, that is with Jesus, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Luke is the only gospel that records eye contact between Jesus and Peter at the third denial. But it says Jesus looked at him and then Peter went out and wept bitterly. So this man says, I will not deny you. I'll die with you. And, you know, crazy things happened and he denies the Lord three times and he goes outside and weeps bitterly. Now, less than two months later is this day of Pentecost. Less than two months later. So think of that. Less than two months. In that time, we have, you know, Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection. He appears to the different, uh, you know, different believers at different times. And uh, this includes the time when Peter is reinstated. You know, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs three times. You know, kind of counteracts the three denials. And he's like, feed my sheep. And then, then we see the ascension of Christ. And so all of that is less than two months, you know, because Pentecost, Penta 50, 50 days from Passover to the, the first fruits of the wheat harvest festival. And so that's 50 days. And so you got the denial, like sometime in the night there. And then now you've got Peter preaching. So, you know, it's 50 plus days and Peter that's not very long. You know, that's less than two months. And now Peter is going to step up, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to preach the word of God, the truth of the gospel to these people. And so this Peter, who was cowering in fear less than two months ago, now steps up. So uh, Acts chapter two, picking it up in verse 14, you know, they're like, aha, they've had too much wine. And now Peter addresses the crowd. 
He's no longer pretending he's not associated with Jesus. He's no longer cowering in fear. Now, two very important things have happened. He's seen the resurrected Christ, which can <laughs> lead to your confidence. And then he's been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus told him to wait for. Now he's ready to go. He can be a witness. And that's what happens. Verse 14, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of the, by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, Peter continues, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross." But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. So Peter there was quoting Psalm 16. Now Peter continues, Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah and he was that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So, man, Peter, <laughs> I mean, that's no, no weak that's no, you know, wishy-washy sermon. That's no touchy-feely sermon. He's like, I mean, look at, look at the finish of it. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. You are the murderers of the Lord and the Messiah. <laughs> like, he's just throwing it out there, man. Full bore. So this is not touchy-feely. Was Peter arrested for this? He was not. Peter was not arrested in a little bit we'll get into the response of the people. But what did Peter just do? Peter just 
witnessed to the resurrected Christ. He received power when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit to be a witness to Jesus in Jerusalem. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so that's what happened. Notice Peter was empowered by the Holy Spirit to witness to who Jesus was. He wasn't empowered by the Holy Spirit to, you know, to talk about the Holy Spirit, which is a piece of the puzzle, you know, not to take away from that. Obviously, I'm talking about the power of the Holy Spirit today. We're going to preach on the Holy Spirit, but it's about being empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness for Christ. And so that's what the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is all about. You know, you'll receive power when my spirit comes upon you so you can be witnesses nearby, a little bit broader area, and all over the whole world. And so this is what was talked about in Matthew, talked about in Mark, talked about in Luke, talked about in John, talked about again in the beginning of the book of Acts. This is a core central part of the gospel message that the apostles were going to step up. The believers of that day were going to step up empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to serve the Lord after Jesus ascended into heaven. They would carry the ball from there, not on their own, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that's what they did. Peter, no longer afraid, no longer scared of the people. Instead, he is boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So Peter was not arrested. How did it go? What happened? Verse 37, pick it up there. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So they believed. Notice it wasn't at the empty tomb that they believed. It wasn't when Jesus reinstated Peter or talked to Thomas and, you know, ended his doubts. It wasn't till here when the people realize, oh man, we have made a mistake. The miracle of the languages being spoken at Pentecost and the empowerment of the spirit in Peter's preaching in their native language opened the hearts of the people and they realized we've done wrong. We have rejected God's plan and we need to get straightened out. So they ask him, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter's answer is fantastic. Verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we got a few steps here. Repent, that means to turn. You know, in the, uh, uh, in the Old Testament, you know, when he's talking to the Jewish people, the, the Hebrew word for repent is to turn back. If they've wandered away from God, they need to turn back to serving God. In the Greek, in the New Testament, the word translated repent more means to uh, look at your life from a 30,000 foot view, reconsider the direction you're going and go with God realize that that's the most important thing. That's kind of what repent means in the, uh, the New Testament. But either way, Hebrew or Greek word, what it means is to give up on failing God, either unintentionally just going your own way or intentionally rebelling against God, to give up on that, to ask for forgiveness for that, 
to realize there's a God in heaven that has a plan for your life and then to grab hold of that plan, to seek after that plan. So that's to repent, is to turn to God, to reconsider your life and go with God. So repent and be baptized. Baptism back then was the initiation into the church. You wanna be one of us? Repent and be baptized. The baptism basically brought them into the fellowship of the believers. And so they had publicly demonstrated that they'd made a decision to follow Christ and now they're in. That part of the team, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So who receives the gift of the Holy Spirit? Here it says, whoever repents and is baptized gets their sins forgiven, then they can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was an amazing looking thing in Acts chapter 2. You know, there's tongues of fire coming down on people. It's like, it was a wild thing. Uh, and this whole idea continues through the New Testament of the baptism and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit empowerment of the believer. Who is this promise for? Verse 39, the promise is for you, for your children, that is the people in the future, for all who are far off, the ones who aren't there, you know, in distant countries or wherever, and for all whom the Lord our God will call. So this is for whoever, this is for everybody. Whoever wants to repent, be baptized, have their sins taken away, now you're walking with God and can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to make a difference. Let's finish this section going to verse 41. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So you got the nine in the morning miracle that happens. You've got all these you know, the preaching of Peter, people coming to a realization of who Jesus is and that there is, you know, there is forgiveness of sins, repentance and baptism. 3,000 of them get baptized. They're brought into the family of faith. And that's an amazing thing. So Jesus ascended to the Father. Now what? You're catching on. Now the apostles step up empowered by the Holy Spirit. They start carrying the ball. Peter starts carrying the ball. James and John start carrying the ball. We see uh, later in the book of Acts, the recruitment of uh, Paul the apostle, and he begins to carry the ball. So what happens when Jesus ascends to the Father? The apostles step up empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then 3,000 were added to their number. And, you know, 120 about in the upper room. Not sure exactly what the numbers of believers were at that point, but it was not a huge number. And now 3,000, many, many more times what their number was at the beginning of the day are added. So we're going to close in prayer here in just a minute. I want to see if we can't add a few more to that number as well. If you're someone who has you know, wandered away from God or you've never made a decision to follow Christ and you've never trusted in Jesus, let me tell you one of the most important things you can do, probably the most important thing, of course, when it comes to Jesus, the most important thing you can do is trust in and follow Jesus in this life to find the Lord who loves you, who has sacrificed for you, who has given of himself that you could have a relationship with God and walk with God in this life you know, rather than running the directions you're running and doing all the things that you're doing, trying to find happiness and satisfaction in the things of the world, let me tell you, some of those things can be nice, but it's nothing compared to a relationship with Almighty God. So 
So let's add some more to that number today. And if you're a believer, you know, you've already, you've already grabbed hold of faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to grab hold of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's definitely something to pray for. But this next verse, verse 42, gives four things that the believers did after they were baptized. So what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. For us, that would be the Bible. They devoted themselves to fellowship. That's to one another. To the breaking of bread. That's both a combination of like potlucks and holy communion. The breaking of bread and to prayer. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So this was what they did. And so if you're a follower of Jesus now, uh, is there one of those four that you need to shore up a little bit? Devoting yourselves to the apostles' teaching. This is not memorizing the apostles' teaching. This is doing the apostles' teaching. So we don't want to just memorize the Bible. We want to put it into practice. To fellowship, what's that? That's to one another. Loving and encouraging your fellow believers. To the breaking of bread. That's, you know, it's, it's a lot of the fellowship part, you know, connecting with each other, but also Holy Communion, honoring Jesus for what he did on the cross. And then prayer, personal prayer, showing up for prayer meetings, you know, being a person of prayer. So if there's any of those four things that need attention in your life, if you're a believer, let's let the Lord show us and let's, let's take a step up in serving him in those ways. So let's pray and uh, finish up the service here. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your great glorious plan of redemption. And Lord, for those who are hearing my voice right now, who are distant from you, Lord, I thank you that this gift is for anyone, the ones in the future, the ones who are far away, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so, Lord, I pray that you would call to them and bring them in and that they would respond. Because if you're here, if you're hearing my voice and you are, uh, you're distant from God, today is your day. So I just want you to pray along these lines. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to the cross that he would pay the price that all of my sins would be forgiven and that I could have a new life. I'm sorry for my sins. I pray, Lord, you would forgive me and I wanna live that new life. I wanna grab hold of that new thing, walking with you, being empowered by your spirit, making a difference for you in this world. So Lord, forgive me and guide me into a good future. And then Lord, for those who are followers of you, help us to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to get better and better at serving you and following uh, the biblical lifestyle. Lord, help us to devote ourselves to each other, to fellowship. Help us to remember you as we receive Holy Communion and help us to build up the body as we eat together and encourage each other. And Lord, let us be people of prayer, opening our hearts to you and laying before you the things that are on our hearts. And so Father, encourage us in all these ways. Help us to walk with you in Jesus' name, amen.